show him our love and appreciation. What a great weekend. I'm so thankful that you're in church and worship in person today. We obviously welcome those that are watching online, but I say again and again, there is nothing like being in the house of the Lord God. Amen. I'm glad that you're here today. It is a wonderful weekend. We do give an acknowledgement to each and every one who has served. We also remember those who gave the freedom that we enjoy today by giving the ultimate sacrifice. And um, I am so glad that we as a church continue um, to be a patriotic people. That is a right thing for us to do, and it's a, it is a privilege to be able to lead in that way. Uh, you notice that Brother Steve and I got a two-for-one sale on our ties today, and so I'm also grateful for that. And um, also, let me celebrate two other things right quick. Um, tomorrow's a big day in the life of David and Kelly. Um, David Conklin and his fiance Kelly will be getting married tomorrow at 2 p.m., and so we're praying for y'all. And I have the privilege of doing that on Memorial Day, so I'm excited about that. And then yesterday, we'll recognize him in person when he's here with us next week, but Ethan Miller uh, was recognized for achieving uh, the level of Eagle Scout. Um, yesterday afternoon in our church, and so we celebrate with Richard and Christina and their family. That's a big accomplishment. Both of their boys are Eagle Scouts, and that's a that's a great blessing. And so we'll recognize him in person next Sunday when he's back with us. This morning, we are continuing our walk through the big events of the Old Testament. We're embracing those big names in the Old Testament. And today, uh, it's going to be easy for us because we are sticking around with Jacob. Uh, we learned last Sunday that the name Jacob literally means the one who grabs the heel. And so we lovingly called Jacob last Sunday, Jacob the Grabber. And we called him Jacob the Grabber because he came out grabbing the heel of his twin brother Esau. And throughout his life, he was always grabbing for things. He grabbed for his family's birthright. By selling a bowl of stew, he grabbed for his father's blessing, that birthright blessing by putting hair on his arms and his neck and by putting Esau's clothes on himself so that he would smell like his older brother Esau so his father Isaac would bless him. Now, we pick up the story today in a very familiar part of the story because this episode begins right after the deception of Isaac. And we know in this moment that his brother Esau has learned of his deception. And Esau came out of the womb red, the Bible tells us, but now he's more red with anger than he's ever been. And he threatens to kill his brother. So Jacob, once the grabber, now becomes the runner. And he's running for his life. And he never sees his mom again. As best we can tell, but here's the great point of today. He's about to have some experiences that are going to um, change his life and shape the rest of his life. Now, let me take a step back and tell you a little bit more about Jacob. We love Jacob. Um, God is defined as the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, we have to be honest today that Jacob was not the finest character that you could ever meet. We have to be honest about him today. He was a liar. Um, He was a cheat. He was a swindler. But here's the amazing truth. Still, even though those titles are appropriate to give to him, he was still a part of God's plan. I had a seminary professor who said this to us many times. God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. How many of you are thankful for that? And that's exactly who Jacob was. God can take failures and he can change them and he can use him. And that's the great news of being a follower of God. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. 
For anybody who's ever made a mistake, that's you and me, right? You're still a part of God's plan. God can use you. For anybody who's not perfect, that's you, right? That's me. God can still use us. And so aren't you glad that God doesn't just see you for who you are, but really for who you can become in Him? And that's the power of God's grace. Somebody please say amen to that. That's our saving grace. That's our hope that God wants to use us, and He can So today, this morning, we have the privilege of being able to look at three episodes in Jacob's life. And every one of these episodes is going to begin with the letter W, all right, or W, we might say in Texas. Um, But the first one is this. We're going to look at Jacob worshiping. So take your Bibles, if you would, and let's begin here. Go ahead and stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word. We'll be in Scripture three times. We'll stand for this one. Just to remind ourselves of the holiness of God's Word, the power of God's Word. Uh, Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22, and this is Jacob's dream at Beth-El. Sometimes we say Bethel, right? The Bethel Baptist Church, we see those everywhere. The word Beth-El means the house of God. And so this is Jacob's dream at Beth-El. Remember, this is Jacob worshiping. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba. And set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep... He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. He called that place Beth-El, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me I will give you a tenth. God bless you. You may be seated. It's good to know that God was calling in while I was reading Scripture. My goodness gracious, silence your phones, please. (laughs) All right, this is a worship experience. That's what this is. That's everything that we see in Genesis chapter 28. It's a worship experience. And, And as far as we can tell, and this is really the interesting part of this, this is the first time it seems that Jacob ever encountered God. You say maybe he had heard about God from Isaac. Maybe he had heard about God from his grandfather Abraham, 
But this is the first time that he heard from God. And he says in the text, literally, this is an awesome place. This is Bethel. This is the house of God. And and so right here in the text, I just kind of want to call a pause and for us to recognize this, that we really learn about worship right here. And worship always involves two things. And let me say this. If you came to worship, that's what we call this, right? If you came to worship and these two things don't happen, then you didn't go to worship. You might have gone to a place where other people worshipped, but you yourself were not a worshiper. And here's the two things in the text. First of all, worship always involves a vision of God. In other words, Jacob saw God. You say, well, Pastor, I thought the Bible says no one has ever seen God. Well, the truth is Jacob saw the glory of God. He heard the voice of God. And did you know you can come to church, you can sit in the choir, you can be in a pew, upstairs, downstairs, it doesn't matter. You can come to a worship service, but unless you see God, I'm going to say it again, you haven't worshipped. And it's really heartbreaking, isn't it? To think about the many times people have come into a worship service and they just sit there. They stand up, they sit down, they read the words, they sing the songs, and they leave. And they were never once made aware of the fact that God was there. They never really saw God. And you haven't worshipped unless that happens. You might have been to a worship service, but you weren't a worshiper because worship always involves a vision of God. So I want to ask you today, do you sense and feel and see and know that God is around you right now? Where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. God is here today. God is speaking today. You have to see God to worship. The second thing, worship always involves a vow to God. It involves a vision of God, but then a vow to God. You see, once you encounter God, you have to respond in some way. It's why I love being a Baptist. I I couldn't stand going to a service and not having a chance to respond to what God was saying to me. You see, we come here and we, we praise, we worship, we adore, but it has to involve some type of commitment in there, doesn't it? Because that's what Jacob did. He said, okay, God, I've heard what you've said to me. You said that you'd be with me. You said my descendants would populate the entire earth. And because of your promise, what happens at the very end? He says, because of your promise, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a tenth or a tithe. There are some people that say the tithe really wasn't founded until the New Testament. That's crazy. It's all over the Old Testament. It's here again. So in other words, basically, here's the premise. He says, God, I love you so much. I'm going to give something to you. Now, we we have to hear that because here's old, sorry, lying, cheating, scheming Jacob. But God appears to him and says, Jacob, I've got plans for you. You see, he's far from perfect, but God is embracing him. God is allowing Jacob to feel him and know him. And Jacob is responding It's Jacob worshiping. That's the first W. So now let's move to the second one because this is a progression today. Jacob worshiping. Now Jacob working. Take your Bibles and go to chapter 29 of Genesis. Now chapter 29, there's a lot going on. It's a long chapter. There's no way we're going to read all of it. So I'm just going to kind of tell you this story up until a certain point. Jacob, let's just go ahead and change our imagery now. Jacob is a fine, good-looking single guy, all right? 
And he leaves out. He's on a tear because he's trying to save his life. But he keeps on traveling until he finds the area where Uncle Laban lives. Now, who is Laban? That's Rebekah's brother. And she's told him, hey, go to Laban's place so my so your brother Esau won't kill you. So Jacob is trying to find Laban, and he stops where? Anybody know? He stops at a well. Some other people go to the well. He says, hey, are y'all from around here? They said, oh, yeah, we're from around here. He says, do you know Laban? Well, as a matter of fact, we work for Laban. Oh, really? Well, I'm Laban's relative. And by the way, they say, here comes one of Laban's daughters now. Her name is Rachel. Well, Jacob looks at Rachel and his mouth falls open. (laughs) And he says, wow, I think I'm going to like this idea of kissing cousins. And the Bible tells us he actually goes to his cousin whom he's never met and he plants a big kiss right on her lips. And then they all run home and announce to cousin that to that to, to Laban that cousin Jacob has arrived. That's basically a paraphrase of what's happened. So now let's pick it up and read four verses. Genesis twenty nine sixteen. Twenty nine sixteen. We're going to get right in the middle of this and break up my storytelling with just a little bit of text. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. That's important, right? But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years, he's saying this to Laban, in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. How many of you men have ever loved a woman? I mean, really loved a woman. Would you work seven years for? A lot of you worked your whole life for, right? So you know how it feels. Um, so, Je- so, so Jacob works for seven years. He's in love. He's willing to do whatever it takes, right? So the wedding night comes, back to Danny's storytelling. And after lots of drinking and dancing, they go into a tent. It's super dark. They didn't have any night lights back then. And Jacob thinks it's Rachel. They consummate the marriage. The next morning, Jacob rolls over. Good morning, Rachel, he says. But he looks, and it's not Rachel at all. And then he realizes, guess what? The thing that he used to do to other people has now been done to him. He's been cheated. And the one who had cheated his brother and dad now has it done to him. Laban switched the sisters on him. But Laban says... It's our tradition that the older sister has to marry first. Sorry I didn't tell you that before we began this little deal. But Jacob still wants Rachel. He's in love with Rachel. So he agrees what? To serve another seven years to get Rachel. Laban says, if you promise seven years, well, I'll just go ahead and let you have Rachel right now. So now he's married to two sisters, Leah And Rachel, you can imagine how hard that was. We're not going to go into that at all, right? And if that's not enough, then Rachel couldn't get pregnant. But Leah got pregnant, and then she got pregnant again and again and again. Suffice it to say that Jacob worked a total, if you read the text, 20 total years 
for Laban before he finally decided to get out of there, right? Now, it was a different accepted custom. Don't get bogged down in all of those details. It was a different custom for a different time. But Jacob was working. That's the point we're making. He was paying the price for his own grabbing. He was paying the price for his own deception. And here's the valuable point. In the midst of that, God was working on him. So Jacob is worshiping, and then Jacob is working. And now the last W of the morning, the most important one, Jacob wrestling. Now, I almost titled this message WrestleMania, but I, but I backed off of that. And I just titled it Wrestling with God. This is the most important part. And here's where I want you to set up on the edge of your seat and say, God has something for me. So Jacob is on his way back home, right? And here's what he knows. He knows Esau is waiting for him. He knows what Esau has said. Jacob, if I ever lay eyes on you again, the first thing I'm going to do is kill you. But Jacob decides, I'm going back anyway. So take your Bibles now and let's go to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. He's scared, he's concerned, right? But he decides to sleep. And here's what happens in this text. Genesis 32, 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. It's important there. He was left alone. And look what it says. A man, should be in quotes, wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. In other words, he said, the one who grabs the heel. And then the man said, your name will no longer be the one who grabs the heel, but now Israel or Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So, so let's, let's just ask this question to start off. Who in the world was this that Jacob wrestled with? There are commentaries written on it, understand, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to summarize it in about five sentences or so. Okay? Some say he wrestled with God. And that's a pretty easy summation because it says he, he, he went face to face with God. That's what the text says. 
Others say it was a man, right? But but very often in the Old Testament, the word man, that's why I said put it in quotes, is used to describe an angel. So it could have been an angel of the Lord, and there are many scholars who believe that. Some say it was one of those pre-incarnate visits of the Lord Jesus himself. You might remember another one of these moments was when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, and they saw a fourth person in there, and they said he looks like a son of God, right? So maybe it's one of those. Now, I stand before you today to confess that none of us know. I don't know who it was. We're not for sure who it is. All we know, it was a representative of God. He spoke for God. He had the authority to bless from God. But here's the point. Who he was is not nearly as important as what took place. Who he was is not nearly important as what took place. And so if you're taking sermon notes, or if you haven't yet, this is the place you ought to start. That's why we give you that blank space on your worship guide. Here's what happened. Let's walk through this progression together and see the process that Jacob went through. Number one, Jacob was a man of fear. That's where it begins. He was a man who had a past. He was a man who was running from one danger to the other. He was a man who was afraid. And here's the lesson that we can learn. God meets us in our fear. He meets us in our desperation. Today, I wonder how many of us here are desperate in one way or the other. Maybe you say, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do about this. I'm being chased from behind. I have an enemy in front of me. I'm being squeezed. And if that's what you're saying today, maybe it's an issue with your family. Maybe it's an issue with your health. Maybe it's an issue with your job. Maybe it's an issue that that you can't even say out loud today. If you're being squeezed behind and in front, then I say to you, congratulations. And I mean that sincerely because this is an excellent time for God to come to your aid. You see, the problem with us sometimes is we're just not desperate enough. We're not a desperate people. When we get desperate, hear me, God comes. And we see that in Jacob. He starts out as a man of fear in a desperate position, and it was the right place to be. After he was fearful, second, he was a man of flesh and blood. He thought he could fight God. And he chose to reenact all of these scenarios in his life. And he said, I'll deal with this messenger from God the same way I've dealt with everybody else. I've always been a grabber. I've always been a manipulator. I've always been a fixer. So here's what I'll do. I'll just grab hold of this guy. I'll manipulate this guy. I'll wrestle him and I'll fix him. And here's the lesson We often struggle against God, don't we? Jacob's not the only one. We do it as well. And and we may not struggle with him physically, but he tells us what to do. And we say, no, I'll just do it my way. You see, we really are a lot like Jacob. A man of fear, a man of flesh and blood, and now we move third. Jacob was a man of failure. Why do I say that? Because he lost the wrestling match. In WrestleMania 1, 
the first one ever to exist, Jacob was the loser. He grabbed hold of something he couldn't control. And here's the lesson. We may struggle with God, but hear me today, God is undefeated. God is eternally undefeated. He's never been beaten. He's never even been tied. You may struggle against God, but you will not whip God. And let me just tag this in. Some of you today need to wrestle with God. You've been running. You've been ignoring. And now you need to wrestle. And let me tag this. Some of you need to let God wrestle with you. Fourth, Jacob becomes a man of faith. He realizes he's grabbed hold of something he can't control. And then he says, I've failed. Finally, I've failed. So it's then in his failure, right, that he puts his faith in God and he says, God, whoever you are, I'm not going to let you go. And here's the lesson. When you're in trouble, just hang on to God. That's the message for our church. That's the message for our families. It's the message for our world. All these things happening around us. Don't let go of God. Don't blame God. No, hang on to God with everything that you've got. Hang on to the promises of God. Hang on to the promises of the Word of God. Hang on to the people of God. Hang on to prayer to God. Say, God, I'm not going to let you go, and I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Fifth, Jacob became a man of forgiveness. And you see, this is the key. The angel touched his hip, and somehow by touching it, he knocked it out of place. Has anybody had a hip replacement in here? Several of you. It's not pleasant, is it? There's nothing pleasant about that. And you say, wow, if God's going to bless me that way, I don't know if I want to be blessed, right? But let me say this. There's people today that need to hear this. Sometimes God's blessing comes disguised as pain. Sometimes God's blessing comes disguised as surgery. Sometimes God's blessing comes disguised as injury. You see, the next morning, Esau was out there waiting on his younger brother, Jacob. And guess what? Jacob can't run anymore. He's been running from him for 20 years, this proud, arrogant grabber who's always gotten everything he wanted. He's changed. This proud, strong man who grabbed everything he always wanted in his life has a new nature. When God touches you, you end up with a new nature. This is how you can know you're a Christian or not. Well, I walked down the aisle when I was just a kid. I made a decision when I was just a teenager. I did what mom and daddy wanted me to do. No, that's not how you determine if you're a Christian. You determine you're a follower of Jesus Christ when you have a new nature. The old nature dies and now you're a new person. And people say to you, who are you? Because you're not the person I used to know. Jacob used to walk proudly. And arrogantly. But now he's limping. He's been humbled. He's literally been broken. Look at your screen. 
Next phrase. When God touches you, he breaks you. How do I know that? Because David in the Old Testament said, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Jacob has a new nature of brokenness. Do you see what happened when he wrestled with God and God wrestled with him? He went from this desperate person to a person who's broken, but he's been changed and he found God. And friend, it's right there that Jacob gets a new name. I love this. The representative of God says, your name is not Jacob anymore. You're no longer the one who grabs the heel, but now your name is Israel or Israel, the one who prevails with God, not over God, but with God. Friend, when God touches you, you're going to have a new nature. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll have a spirit of forgiveness. You'll have a new name. He'll change your whole personality. If you haven't experienced, I'm going to say it again, a new nature, you are not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. The old Jacob would have gone to Esau proud. We know this. He He would have sauntered out there and said, Here I am, Esau. What are you going to do about it? But he didn't do that anymore. He walked out there limping. Can you see him? Limping out to his brother, right? And when he sees Esau, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. He bows before him. Not once. Not twice. Seven times. You know what that meant in that culture? It meant, I'm your servant. I'm in your service. Will you forgive me for what I've done to you? You see, Jacob was changed. Here's the great truth of the morning. You can be changed too. The same God who touched Jacob wants to touch you. And when God touches you, it'll be so easy For you to go to those people who you've hurt and those people who you've wronged and you'll bow down before them and you'll say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Because that's the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, how many of us need to say it's time for God to